You are entering the Freedom Hut. A bombshell story in the New York Times that claims Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, was in fact thinking about a soft coup against Trump in his first two weeks on the job. Plus the preposterous demands of Professor Ford. She is playing games, folks. This should go to both her credibility and also how McConnell reacts. Here's the short version. Time for a vote. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, my friends. Great to have you with me on a Friday. Oh, my, this story. Rosenstein, my friend, Mr. Rosenstein. Ron Rosenstein suggested secretly recording Trump and discuss the 25th Amendment, which, as you know, would allow the cabinet to remove the president from office for not being uh, mentally or physically capable of doing the job. Here we are once again, back to now that it's looking pretty bad for Russia collusion right now that that's not a real thing and they can't keep dancing around and pretending like it is. What do they do, folks? Oh, they go to the other reason Trump isn't really president or shouldn't be president. Let me tell you some of the details of this story and then let's work through this together, shall we? Because I have some mixed feelings about this. Yes, of course, it's a declaration of Rod Rosenstein, perhaps engaged in a soft coup from the very peak, the very top of the Department of Justice against the president that over 60 million Americans voted for. It is, in fact, that. It is more evidence than we've ever had of a very real deep state cabal inside of the federal government that is working against the president's interests and working against the American people's interests with him. But I also have to wonder, how exactly does this add up? How is it possible that Rosenstein has now come out and said, oh no, it is not true? And when you look at the timeline a bit, there are some aspects of the story that just does not make sense. Uh, does not make sense. Is this fake news? Is it exaggerated news? I wonder. Certainly wouldn't be the first time the New York Times has done that. Here's what the uh, here's what the Times says. Um, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein suggested last year that he secretly record President Trump in the White House to expose the chaos consuming the administration. And he discussed recruiting cabinet members to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Mr. Trump from office for being unfit. Mr. Rosenstein made these suggestions in the spring of 2017 when Mr. Trump's firing of James Comey as FBI director plunged the White House into turmoil. Over the ensuing days, the president divulged classified intelligence to Russians in the Oval Office And revelations emerged that Mr. Trump had asked Mr. Comey to pledge loyalty and end an investigation into a senior aide. Those are all allegations. I don't think those are fair ways of saying it, but that's what the Times has written here. Mr. Rosenstein was just two weeks into his job. He had begun overseeing the Russia investigation and played a key role in the president's dismissal of Mr. Comey by writing a memo critical of his handling of the Hillary Clinton email investigation. 
But Mr. Rosenstein was caught off guard when Mr. Trump cited the memo in the firing and he began telling people that he feared he had been used. <sighs> Secretly recording the President of the United States as the deputy. I mean, this is Rosenstein going with the full Omarosa. He's going to make some tapes of the president. These these holdovers, and that's what Rosenstein is. These Obama holdovers are a cancer in the government. By the way, that was Trump's description of it earlier in the week. He's totally correct. They are corroding from the inside the most powerful offices within the federal government that are unelected. What are we to make of this now? I mean, should should Trump fire? Rosenstein says no, but should Trump fire Rosenstein? I don't mean he says no, he shouldn't be fired. He says that he didn't do this or he didn't say this and this is all false. Here's why I have trouble with this story. Let's assume for a moment this is true. Why would Rosenstein stay in the job if he felt that strongly? Why not resign, get a half a million dollar contract to be a CNN contributor you know, get a seven-figure advance to write a book and become the biggest hero in democratic politics in the country overnight and say, yes, in fact, I did. Why stick around? Now, some of you may be saying, well, hold on a second, Buck. If, in fact, he stayed in, it stays in his post as the person overseeing the Russia investigation, as the person who is best placed to take down the presidency from within by helping the Mueller probe and preventing transparency and preventing accountability. That's how he does not just become a hero in theory to the left, but a true hero to the Democrats and the progressive mania that they represent by really bringing down this presidency. Maybe Rosenstein's playing the long game for bigger stakes. He doesn't just want to be an agitator against the administration. He wants to be a turncoat from within a fifth column to bring the whole thing tumbling down. That would also be possible. Right? These are the different ways that I see this, uh, this problem as presented in this New York Times piece. And then you have to think of, well, what does President Trump do now if he fires Rosenstein? And maybe the New York Times is, in fact, doing this, writing this story as a dangle they are tempting Trump to take that action because you know what they'll say then. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Russia collusion. He's obstruction. Oh, they'll have all these things they'll say. And they're looking to any excuse, looking for any excuse they can find to push impeachment. If he fires, uh, if he fires Rosenstein and then the Democrats take the House, let's say, can we really trust the Republicans left in the Senate? to hold the line, not just against, obviously they won't have any part of it, but, you know, it, there's the House could go with impeachment. Would we really trust all, enough members of the Senate not to go along with removing the president at that point if they thought that Trump was no longer a safe political bet, that he had become too much of a drag on the Republican Party, that they could finally set things right? You start rattling off names, folks, of Republicans who might who might start breaking ranks on that. I know it's unlikely. I know we're getting far down the line here, but... If he fires Rosenstein, I mean, I, I hear like Lindsey Graham saying he can't fire Rosenstein. And I've heard lots of Republicans that aren't those 
you know, those real wishy-washy Republicans that you don't really know what they're going to say on any issue uh, that have said Rosenstein is a red line. Rosenstein is a red line. Well, now we find out the guy who's managed to burrow himself deep into the upper reaches of the federal bureaucracy and who is overseeing an active plot to overthrow this president through a weaponized intelligence and federal law enforcement apparatus, that guy is also unfireable, even when exposed. It's remarkable. You you almost have to give the Democrats some credit for this. They are they are dishonorable, they are disgraceful, but man, they're also Machiavellian. They will do whatever it takes whenever it is necessary. And that, that they have these people that were so devoted to Obama, Obamaism. And that view of a massive federal government of overseers that are really more in charge of our lives. They don't work for us. We exist by their leave. That mentality and the importance of institutions and agencies over the rights of everyday American citizens, that seems to have infected the federal government for eight years under Obama. And that Trump wasn't aware how deep that rot had spread can't be held against him entirely. I don't think it was possible for the president to realize that he was coming into a situation like this where the federal bureaucracy had been turned against him. But now we have to deal with a simple truth here, my friends. There was and is a soft coup attempt going on against this president, and it is going to be up to all of us to hold the line against it. We've got much more coming, including the latest on the Kavanaugh kangaroo court and more. That's coming up. The people of Nevada love our country, honor our values, and always respect our great American flag. And except for a lot of the fake news that you see from these people back here, this is an incredible time for our country. America is winning again. America is being respected again. Because we are finally putting America first again. That's the president last night in Nevada. But that's the, that's the president that... Or Nevada, gosh, Buck, get it right, uh, that they want to remove from office because they say he's not of sound mind. You, you know what you start to think after a while, my friends? You start to think that maybe they they believe he's not of sound mind because he, like, is so patriotic, loves the flag, and, and has all these cultural proclivities that the elites and the establishment hate in this country. You know, that they don't like the way he is, they don't like the way that he talks about America because it's so profoundly pro-American that he must be crazy because that's not in vogue anymore with the elites. That, that's not how they want to talk about this country. They want to talk about, you know, we need to work on ourselves. You know, we're not so great. Other countries are great, too. They much prefer the Obama position on America, which is we have a lot to make up for and a lot we better do for other countries because we're not so great. 
They hate this approach that Trump has. Of course, you and I think it's fantastic. Uh, but a, a president who gets the gets the American people at these events cheering for him in this way, who has taken on the media and and continues to bring about such incredibly positive results as a president. Uh, the fact that they think they're going to remove him because he's crazy just tells you that he's not the crazy one, folks. The people who go chant in the, scre- uh, in the streets and scream and shriek and pull out their hair and dress as the handmaid's tail and, you know, wear, wear women's genitalia hats all over the street. And, you know, those are the crazy people. All right. I think we've seen in the Kavanaugh hearings and in the Senate Democrats and the media coverage of Kavanaugh that the crazy people aren't tr- are not the pro-Trumpers and they're not Trump himself. Um, this is, it's just too much after a while. I mean, this notion that, that you're going to have Rosenstein try to, to oust this president, try to remove this president from office. Notice how we, we never get the story, folks. We never get told, well, based on what exactly? Oh, he's just kind of crazy. You know, he's, he's, he's not able to do the job. If he's crazy, why is he? Let's just really get down to it. If Trump is crazy, why is he better at this job than Obama was? Because he is. Why? How is that possible? If he's not of sound mind, what does it say about the office of the presidency that he's better than the president before him, who the media was referring to as a genius and really godlike, really, really almost like a, a version of Jesus in our own time? I don't know how to gauge these standards that they're applying. I don't know how to think about this anymore um, it, it, it just does not make any sense uh, the president is handling incredibly complicated issues and doing a a very good job i mean you know one place where you're where you're seeing again he's defied the conventional wisdom and i keep repeating this because i think it's so important is on trade and on china we have been told that he was going to destroy the american economy based on his ideas on trade right now the stock market is at a record high Unemployment is at a record low and overall business confidence and optimism is the best it's been in decades. You can't make that stuff up. And he's done that all while being told really in a bipartisan fashion. I mean, I know I've spoken to Senate Republicans uh, who think that Trump is is complete. They think he's crazy on the issue of trade. They don't just think he's crazy in the way the left does. They think that he's way off when it comes to trade. Uh, Meanwhile, here's what the president has to say about a play 17. For many years, countries have been taking total advantage of the United States on trade. Whether they're allies or not, they looked at us really as a bunch of very soft touches. And that's not what's happening anymore. The big one is China, because for a long period of time, China has taken advantage of our country. And I don't blame China. I blame the people that represented our nation to have allowed that to happen, where $375 billion in trade deficits came about year after year. We don't want that. Not fair, not right. So we've placed massive tariffs on China, and the tariffs have really had a positive impact what about what President Trump said there is 
is not true. What about what he said there is in any way indicative of somebody who is not of sound mind? Mentally not equipped to do the job, folks, is is what is being alleged here about, or rather, is what is being alleged is the allegation made by the, at one point, well, I guess he's he's the deputy attorney general. And on all things Russia, he's the ultimate authority. By the way, he's an Obama holdover, folks. Not said enough. You know, Trump, there were some mistakes made in the transition. Trump's transition people were, were not up to the game. And some of the decisions that were made early on in this White House about who would have what job, bad decisions. No question about it. And leaving Rosenstein in there. I mean, not immediately. Look, Trump admits that this is a mistake now. He, he wouldn't even argue this point. He should have fired Comey right away. He should have fired Rosenstein right away. I mean, day one. He should have made sure that the attorney general was, yeah, that's right. I think Ted Cruz would have been the best choice. Let Ted be Ted in the role he is best suited for. You know, I don't think Ted's ever going to win the presidency. I don't think he's got the, the the interpersonal skills and the personal charisma necessary to win a presidential election. But I do think he'd be a pretty kick butt attorney general. You know, that was a mistake. It was a mistake, and I understand why at the time, given the bad blood between Cruz and, and Trump, that it wasn't made. But, you know, we are living with these mistakes still to this day. And, you know, look, I mean, I, I like that the president is calling out what a what a big pile of nonsense all this stuff is, but he still has to deal with it. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I tell you about the, I, I talked to you about the economy and some of these other things that are going so well. Not just because I, I sit here and I think to myself, wow, we should all be kind of grateful for what's going on, but also because when you juxtapose what's really happening, and, and this is what I'm, I'm really trying to get at here, when you juxtapose what's, what's happening in the country around us versus the media and the Democrat Party, what they say is happening and what they think is happening, which is that we have a president who should be removed from office, you really do have to ask the question, Who's the crazy one here? It's not Trump. The president was very clear. The president said immediate declassification of all of this information with no redactions. That's really simple. Immediate with no redactions. That was on Monday. Today it's Friday. We have nothing. Who's covering up? DOJ and FBI, the same people who we've been having. We've had to walk through stonewall after stonewall. Speaker Ryan said this a few months ago. He gave DOJ, he put them on notice, and he said, you can either be part of the cleanup crew or the cover-up crew. And it's pretty clear that they're looking to be part of the cover-up crew at this point. The longer that DOJ and FBI and the or the former administration officials continue to cover this up, and the media, who is part of all this, let's, you can't give the media a pass on this. They are totally been fooled by this. I mean, you have people who believe uh, everything in that dossier, even though many people at the time knew that the dossier was total nonsense. I mean, anybody that has ever looked at an intelligence report would know that that still dossier was not an intelligence report. Yet you had the media buy that. You had Yahoo News two years ago today ran a big story, exclusive story on that. I mean, this is this is really embarrassing for the mainstream media. Uh, they are all in to try to take out this president and take out the Republican Party. Uh, and it's really sick. So it's you- really sick what's happening in this country, and it's really scary. 
David Nunes has been a warrior on this issue for a long time, and I, I give him a lot of credit. You know, he has become a, a hated figure on the left because he's willing to get out there and fight on this. And he's absolutely right. You know, I've, I've interviewed Nunes. I've talked to him about this. The whole thing is nuts. All right. This whole Russia collusion thing is completely bogus. They're the, the DOJ is hiding. We know they're hiding. I, you know, I don't know what to believe about this big Rosenstein story that came down today. Uh, you know, I, I kind of believe it, but it also doesn't make sense on some levels. But it certainly shows us that there there really is an element at the top level of the government bureaucracy that's trying to engage in a soft coup against the president of the United States. That's real, folks. That is real. That is not a conspiracy. That is a fact now. That is a fact. Really understood by both sides. It's just the left tries to ignore it. They have some, you know, oh, well. You know, this is it's not as important as they're saying, you know, whatever it doesn't you can't force them to live in reality. But the president and I talked to him about it earlier this week, the president said that he was going to that that he wanted this information redacted and now or not redacted. Rather, he wanted it to be declassified. And somehow the you know, the different entities involved that convinced him to backtrack on this. And I don't agree with that. All right release this stuff what should really happen is the president should just you know i i i think that he should probably just bring in somebody that he actually trusts you know somebody with a clearance like devin nunes and they should sit side by side and you know look at the completely raw documents and nunes can tell the president look that you know you don't need to have that in there because that actually might you know identify a sensitive source or method take a black marker Black it out and just put out the documents themselves. I mean, Nunes is running around saying all this takes is is a 20 page Xerox. And everything is good to go beyond that. Right. I mean, Nunes is basically saying. You know, there's there's no excuse here. There's no justification for the slow roll. Um, Trump today tweeted out the following quote. I met with the DOJ concerning the declassification of various unredacted documents They agreed to release them, but stated that so doing may have a perceived negative impact on the Russia probe. Also, key allies called to ask not to release. Therefore, the inspector general has been asked to review these documents on an expedited basis. I believe he will move quickly on this and hopefully other things which he is looking at. In the end, I can always declassify if it proves necessary. Speed is very important to me and everyone. Okay, I get it. The pre- look, the president's trying to be reasonable about this because he knows that the redactions... Here, here's the real problem, folks. The redactions that exist right now and what's out there about the FISA surveillance of Carter Page, for example, and about the stuff we know regarding the Russia investigation origins, I'd say I would guess that 75% of what is still blacked out doesn't need to be blacked out for any legitimate reason. The only reason to black it out is to avoid embarrassment for the FBI and the Department of Justice. That's the only reason. There is perhaps 25% or so, maybe it's less, maybe it's more like 10% of stuff that we don't need the public to necessarily know. uh, And letting the public know would be problematic 
at, on some level. You know, it may, maybe if we have an ally, for example, that gave us some of their, because now we're talking of their sources and methods that can be exposed, and then they can get very touchy about that. So I'm not saying there's no, there's absolutely zero argument to be had here. I'm saying, okay, but, you know, let's not allow them to, to, to do what they've done, which is definitely overclassified. We've caught them, we've already caught them overclassifying. This isn't a theoretical. They are doing this. They have been doing this. Um, and then I want to also say that this is always about balancing, right? This, this notion of, oh, national security, national security, it's inviolate. Nothing can be done here that would harm national security. Folks, it harms our national security for the president of the United States to be under this cloud and this pressure. I mean, I can tell you, when, when I'm sitting there talking, to, when I was talking to the president about this issue, I mean, the guy is just, you know, he's just, he's just had it with this. It's just a giant lie. No other president has been saddled with this kind of, of coordinated political assault based on complete lies. You know, it's one thing to hate Bush because you think the Iraq war was a bad idea and that lies led into whatever. At least that's a real thing. You know, I mean, while I would disagree with the way the left went about that and I feel like now it's easy to second guess everything Bush did, at least there was something to it. You know, at least they were arguing about something with this stuff, with Russia collusion. This is a fantasy. And I worry that, you know, the president, you know, he's he said declassify and now they're not declassifying. He's saying, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll hold them to it, but. This isn't that hard. This isn't that complicated. And the Democrats still have this outlier hope, I think, that they're going to be able to uh, make this not about Russia collusion, but about the cover-up. In this case, the, uh, you know, the the storyline that there was obstruction. That's the word that I was trying to find. Obstruction. Uh, and this is something that they have latched onto for a long time, but they're going to pivot to this, I think, in the next couple of months, and this is going to become the whole... But the, the case they have here is really weak, but it doesn't matter if it's weak. They'll just use it as a mechanism of politics. They'll, they'll use this as something to, to hit Republicans and Trump with as much as they possibly can. Uh, Trey Gowdy I was speaking to Brett Baer. By the way, I'll be on Brett Baer's show, uh, Brett Baer's show next Thursday. So you can tune into that. Uh, that'll be fun. I'll be on the panel. Uh, play clip eight. We last talked. You said you hadn't seen any evidence of Russian collusion at all. Still true today? Yeah, Brett. The only thing is Adam Schiff in March of 2017 saying he had evidence that was more than circumstantial but not direct. And oh, by the way, there is no such thing. But if you can lay aside Adam Schiff, uh, the wannabe senator from California, no one has presented any evidence. And the best way for that to be proven is release all the transcripts of all the witness interviews we did during 2017 down at House Intel. All of them. Jared Kushner, Donald Trump Jr., Susan Rice, Samantha Power. Release all of them because I ask every witness, give me all the evidence you have of collusion, coordination, conspiracy, regardless of whether or not you even believed it. Every bit of evidence you have, no one had anything. So there is no evidence of collusion, which is why the Democrats have pivoted to obstruction of justice. Trump is right when he says no collusion, folks. 
He's telling the truth. And notice how at a very basic level, one side of this argument is in favor of more transparency, more facts, more information for the public to work on. The other side is playing all kinds of games. No, 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 no. Keep it secret. Keep it secret. And that's because the truth and the revelation of the so-called secret information is only going to do one thing, and that is bolster Trump's case and make the left and the anti-Trumpers look like the complete pack of liars that they are. You had what they called the silent donation, where they worked to actually get certain people to the polls to find out that they wanted Hillary to vote, what we saw there. But what's even more disturbing as an American, not just as a conservative as I am, Google stopped working with the U.S. military, but they worked with Russia and China. And it just came out. You know what they're doing in China? They created a search engine for them so the Chinese government can spy on the people using. And you know the words they're searching for? Human rights, student protest. But they won't work with the U.S. government. But they worked with Russia to take down things that dealt with Putin. This is what is wrong. The bias has got to stop. Folks, I'm not going to back off this Silicon Valley situation. Because it is so important. It is critical to the future of this country. And as as Andrew Breitbart said, politics is a downstream of culture. You know what one of the biggest determinants of culture is these days? The internet giants. They determine how we communicate, what you see, when you see it, whose voice is elevated, whose voice is suppressed. They have more power than the cable networks ever did. And yet they keep telling us, oh, no, we have no bias. We have no bias. They won't work with the U.S. military, as was said there by Congressman McCarthy, but they will work with China to help the Chinese government create essentially a massive active surveillance system of any Chinese descent inside the country. Uh, The fact of the matter is that Google is, based on those videos that we saw, a hotbed of whiny, snowflake, crybaby progressivism And they're progressives with a lot of power and a lot of money. And the fact that their old slogan was don't be evil was really the tip off. If your slogan has to be don't be evil, there's a problem. And now we have another story, yet another story about what these social media entities are really doing when push comes to shove. This is from the Wall Street Journal. This is not some conspiracy blog. This is not, you know, some unsourced whatever. This is the Wall Street Journal. Google workers discussed tweaking search function to counter travel ban. Let me get into a little bit of the body of the piece here. Days after the Trump administration instituted a controversial travel ban in January 2017, Google employees discussed ways they might be able to tweak the company's search-related functions to show users how to contribute to pro-immigration organizations and contact lawmakers and government agencies according to internal company emails. The email traffic reviewed by the Wall Street Journal shows that employees propose ways to leverage search functions and take steps to counter what they consider to be Islamophobic, algorithmically based results from search terms Islam, Muslim, Iran, etc. And prejudiced, algorithmically based search results from such terms Mexico, Hispanic, Latino, etc. The chain emails, while sprinkled with cautionary notes about engaging in political activity, 
suggest employees considered ways to harness the company's vast influence on the internet in response to the travel ban. Google said none of the ideas discussed were never implemented. Okay, folks, so I know how this goes, right? I, I know what the next, they say, oh, but no, it was just, no one did this, and it was, we're just talking about it, and, you know, it's, let's not get ahead of ourselves, all this stuff, right? We, we know that's what they're going to say. But keep in mind the progression we've had the last three months or so. Twitter was not partisan, not shadow banning. Oh, actually, no, it is partisan. There is shadow banning. The CEO has to come out and do a lot of damage control. Facebook is not suppressing conservatism, not anti-gun, not anti-Second Amendment. Oh, no, it turns out they are actually banning people and engaging in censorship of mainstream conservative thoughts, ideology, figures, and organizations. And then Google's, oh, no, no, we, we don't do anything. Oh, it turns out actually they were really thinking about it. They were really thinking about it, folks. We're, we're, you know, we're not idiots. We get it, right? They are able to do things that, one, are not reviewable by any government entity right now because it's a private corporation, private company. And two, we have not the slightest way of knowing what's really going on. You and I, when we type something into Google, you know, if I type in, you know, new, a, a news of the day request into Google, I am completely reliant on, you know, what Google sends me as the, not just on the first page, but really the first three or four results. If that's going to be Daily Coast and HuffPost all the time, that's what I'm going to be reading for the most. That's what most folks will do. They'll read the first things that come up. And they can say, oh, well, we have this really complicated way of determining what goes up top. But what if they just want to make it stuff that they are aligned with ideologically? I think they've been doing that, by the way. Um, Twitter, for example, is a place where you can see people with a much lower national profile have many more followers in the news space than a lot of conservatives do. I mean, I know this because I'm in the space and I see who's what and what. And, you know, it's much easier to grow a following on the left than it is on the right on Twitter. Now, some of that may be because there are more liberals and conservatives on Twitter in general. But I, I'm telling you that it, it is occurring at a level where I refuse to believe that this is just the the natural end result of the uh, breakdown of political affiliation of people that happen to use Twitter. Now, now people start to ask me, Buck, what's the what's the the so what of all this in terms of what we can do? And, and it's not an easy issue. Uh, you know, the moment you institute government regulation, now you'll just have censorship by government, which will always be better utilized by the left than the right, because we don't believe in censorship of, of ideas the way that they do. Uh, and the moment that you turn this over into a government regulated and issue you're going to have the left find ways to, to cheat and to skew this to their own purposes. And if you try to engage in a breakup of this through anti-monopoly uh, legislation or anti-monopoly action, well, that's also an intrusion into the marketplace. I mean, these companies aren't really true monopolies, although I'm open to that idea. I'm open to people convincing me of that. I mean, I think a monopoly is only po possible with government regulation there is a lot of government regulation in the communication space, though. So given the government regulations that exist, is Google, in fact, a monopoly within those regulations? It's a good question, folks. When we're going to continue looking at 
It's an honor and a privilege to bring you my thoughts on things that matter to us Americans every day. And your opinion matters too, folks. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a new social media site, snippy.com. If you're frustrated with the discourse on your social media pages and looking for an alternative take on conventional conversation, Snippy is it. Its founders have created a forum where people can feel free to express their thoughts, frustrations, ideas, anything really. On Snippy.com, you can write about what's on your mind, upload photos, and strike up a conversation about anything. You can search the site by topic category, see what's trending, check out the news feed, and follow your favorite writers. Most importantly, you can enjoy freedom of expression without suppression from administrators. This is a place where discussion is valued, a place where your opinion matters. Snippy.com is free to join and open to all, so why not jump in and let your opinions be heard? No censorship, no agenda ever. Check out Snippy.com today and download the app to get the discussion going. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One Make, Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. President Trump has nominated a stunningly successful individual. You've watched the fight. You've watched the tactics. But here's what I want to tell you. In the very near future, Judge Kavanaugh will be on the United States Supreme Court. I certainly hope that Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, is correct here, folks. I certainly hope that uh, he, you know, look, he, you got to give Mitch credit. And a lot of people like to like to jump on Mitch's back and say he's he's a establishment and maybe he's even a rhino and all this stuff. McConnell held the line to even put us in a position to have this second Supreme Court seat open up under Trump. Okay, and that was and McConnell was under a tremendous amount of pressure to you know give us Merrick Garland, and you know Democrats were in a furor over that whole situation. I mean, they really believed very obviously that if they made enough noise about it, if they were angry enough about it. They'd be able to create the pressure with the help of the media to go with the so-called consensus candidate, Garland, and it would all go through from there. Uh, It is essential that Republicans have this vote. I mean, I'll get into more coming up here how absurd the the demands are being made by uh, Professor Ford. It's all being timed. She's being she's either willfully colluding with Democrats and the media to try and stop the nomination and, and, and trying to manipulate the processes that are in place with the Senate, uh, or she's being abused by them and they are using her without, uh, without her being in on what's going on, which is, which is also bad. But th- there is no situation in which the Democrats are anything other than depraved here, okay? This is so destructive to all... You know, these are people who talk to us about norms, I mean, let's just think about this for a second, folks. The same Democrats who we have seen this past week, uh, the same Democrats who we've seen engaged in all kinds of reckless demagoguery and stupidity are going to turn around as soon as this whole thing is over and tell us, oh, you know, Trump is ruining the discourse. I really, oh, I don't like Trump. He's saying such mean things. These people will destroy anybody. 
They'll destroy anybody who gets in their way. And they'll do anything to get there. The Democrats suddenly believe in show trials with secret evidence. They won't even hand over the letter to Republicans in the Judiciary Committee. Secret evidence, no official charge or statement, no right to confront the accuser, no right to respond to charges, only to deal with the charges after you've given your statement of innocence, no counsel for the outside counsel for the accused, and essentially guilty until proven innocent. This is the new, this is the new Democrat standard. This is what uh, we are dealing with, folks. And you get people like, uh, like Kirsten Gillibrand out there who are, uh, she's really frightening. I mean, she's frightening in how, in how dumb she is, and she's frightening in how dishonest she is. And it really must be a combination of the two. And remember what she was saying yesterday? She was taking the position that if you don't call for an FBI investigation of yourself, you must be lying and and all you know you must be guilty and also she now claims that wanting a woman to speak up is the new silencing you can't make this up play clip seven they're giving her an option the option is show up monday or don't show up at all I consider that to be bullying. I consider that to be disregarding. I consider that to be something set up for failure. They would like a he said, she said scenario. Because you know what happens in those scenarios? The men are typically believed. <sighs> I went over this yesterday with you a bit. That's not even, that's not even true. That is not a, an, accurate, uh, an accurate version of, of how these high-profile cases tend to play out. Um, and you know, we, oh, we, we finally, we got to talk about this, by the way, the president weighed in on this and here's what he had to say. Play clip four. I think it's a very sad situation. He's an outstanding person. Why didn't somebody call the FBI 36 years ago? I mean, you could also say, when did this all happen? What's going on? I have been accommodating. I say, let her say what she has to say and let's see how it all comes out. But they've delayed it a week. And they have to get on with it. Yeah, folks, the, the delay has nothing to do with being reasonable or letting her voice be heard or making her feel comfortable or making her feel safe. The delay is a political tactic. Anyone who says otherwise is a liar. The only reasons for delay are the Democrats are in a panic and a frenzy in an all out political war to stop Kavanaugh from getting onto the Supreme Court. Uh, we've really never seen anything like this. I think, in a sense, the Democrats also believe that this is something that they can they can take away from Trump and take away from Trump's voters. That you know starts to even things out after the so-called you know stolen Russia collusion election of 2016. In a sense, they believe this is almost relitigating the 2016 election. Because there were a lot of conservatives who went along with Trump, who voted for Trump because they knew that the Supreme Court was going to be in the balance. And based on the Gorsuch pick, they felt very confident they made the right decision instead of voting for Hillary. And now if, if they had gotten Kavanaugh through, I think they would have felt like it was no question. And I'm talking about people that don't like the other stuff Trump is doing like I do, just conservatives that haven't really gotten on the Trump train. Uh, there's no question that it would have been the right move. That strategically, for the long-term interests of 
limited government, constitutionalism, and conservatism, a vote for Donald Trump was the right move. I, I don't even think there could be a debate about it after that. Uh, and that's why there's such, there's such a, a big fight over it. But the whole thing has turned into such a circus, and it's such a disgrace. And I just have to note that the the lack of any sympathy from all these media people for Kavanaugh uh, and for his family is really telling. They they don't. It doesn't bother them one bit. Doesn't make them. You know the the fact that Kavanaugh's children had to be escorted out of one of the earliest hearings because the protesters were such lunatics, such maniacs. This is why I don't listen to Democrats who complain about Trump for being too harsh or, oh, he hurts their feelings or too rough on them or anything else. These people don't play by any rules. There's no decorum. There's no respect. There's no good faith from Democrats. When, when push comes to shove, the end result justifies anything to get there. See, we believe in process as conservatives and as people who believe in, in ordered liberty we think that there needs to be a process for just governance. The left just believes that if you give them what they want, that is justice. Justice is they get what they want. Everything else is noise and details. They don't understand that if it just turns into who has the power to enact their will in that way, all justice becomes temporary. And in fact, they've undermined the very concept of justice in the process of supposedly getting it. It has, been a, it has been a bad week uh, for the country in many ways. Although I suppose you could argue it's better to know who the opposition is. Uh, but I will not forget this. I will not forget the way that Democrats and their allies in the media have acted in this whole week uh, and how they have debased themselves, how they have been so completely dishonorable. I mean, that's really... I often talk about defining characteristics of Democrats and defining characteristics of the left, but but a willingness to be dishonorable has to be very high on the list. It's always been high on the list, but this week I have no problem saying it. I'm glad that others have come out and said what I've been telling you all week, and I'm also, uh, you know, meaning that they don't believe they don't believe Ford. I don't believe Ford. I've never believed Ford. The whole thing has sounded shady from day one, and it's just gotten shadier and shadier. And it has been a, a distinct honor to be in the public fight on this one alongside uh, folks like Andy McCarthy and Coulter has been a total warrior on this one. Eric Erickson, my old colleague from Rush Limbaugh fill in days. He's been a total warrior on this one. And there have been there have been many, many others. Uh, we see this for what it is and we're not going to be bullied and we're not going to back down. But I, I expect McConnell to deliver. They better hold that damn vote, and Kavanaugh better get through. There's way too much at stake, and we've seen the left for who they are. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest-growing crimes. Brace yourself, because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. Everything is stored online these days, including your home's title, and that means domestic and international cyber thieves Hunt American homeowners because we've all got a lot of equity in our homes, generally speaking. The bad guys use that to borrow money. They take you off your home's title, replacing it with an alias, then borrow every penny they can using your home's equity. You just find out about it when you get stuck with the payments. Identity theft programs do not protect you, but home title lock forms a virtual perimeter around your home's title. 
For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most viable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $100 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. Again, HomeTitleLock.com for your $100 value analysis. I believe Dr. Blasey Ford because she's telling the truth. And you know it by her story. Well, I've heard, you know, uh, many, many predators say um, and, and refute allegations against them. I think what we need... As I said, I believe Professor Ford. I think she's credible. This is a trauma she's been dealing with her whole life. She doesn't want to be in a bedroom that doesn't have two doors. And it's going to be about uh, listening to what each party has to say, but I believe her. Well, I can tell you, it, it really does have a ring of truth to it. People knew that about her a long time ago. She told a friend a year ago. She told a reporter before Dr. Kavanaugh was ever named. By the way, I believe Dr. Ford, the survivor. There's every reason to disbelieve uh, Judge Kavanaugh after his evasive and seemingly misleading responses. Not knowing uh, we're okay with the fact that we might be putting a uh, someone who committed attempted rape on the Supreme Court of the United States. Jake, I want to be clear that for me there is no debate. I believe... Um, Professor Ford, uh, Judge Kavanaugh has lied multiple times under oath. Oh, These are the hallmarks of truth. These are the hallmarks of someone who wants to be believed. The Democrats are a disgrace. You already know that. But I wanted to play that whole thing for you because this is an important and I think uh, under-analyzed aspect of this. Whenever they say, I believe, I believe her, what they're saying is that they don't believe Kavanaugh. The, the, these are these are the realities of the statements that are being made. I believe her means that Kavanaugh cannot be believed, which is another way of saying that Kavanaugh is lying, which is a way of saying that Kavanaugh is committing a felony by lying under oath and, by the way, is to be treated in the public eye as somebody who is guilty of an attempted rape based merely upon the allegation and the fact that He's lying now. Why is it that Dr. Blasey Ford, Professor Ford, is treated as uh, beyond reproach in terms of her honesty when she has so many obvious red flags about her motivations for coming forward, about what she said and done? And we're to point now with the demands, and we'll get more of this in a few seconds. I mean, these demands she's making. Yeah, whatever, the demand about her safety, sure, of course. They'll keep her safe when she goes to testify. I mean, that's... Anybody under circumstance, that would be the expectation. That That's irrelevant. It's not a demand that has to be made. The demands that she's making, though, are now silly. I mean, this is she's she's in like, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to testify before the Senate unless you put a thousand brown M&Ms in a brandy glass for me. You know, and hopefully the little sweet shop on the edge of town will be open. I mean, she's at that level of getting to that level, at least of just absurd. Do you know the latest, folks? Right before I came in, I, I when I say I couldn't believe this, I mean I had to find real hard reporting on this before I would I could even make a joke about it. She claims that she can't get here by Monday because she won't fly. That's right, folks. This person, for whom timing is everything when it comes to the politics of this, with a Supreme Court seat and perhaps the balance of the Supreme Court, and yes, with it, some major national-level laws and policy hanging in the balance that will affect 320 million people today, 
hundreds more millions and billions really going into the future, generations, future generations of Americans. And she doesn't want to get on a plane, so we all have to wait for her to drive across the United States, folks. That's right. She she wants to do, you know, a, a kind of Jack Kerouac on the road thing, and, and the whole country has to wait for her. Does anyone really think this is serious? Why is she not being roundly criticized and even mocked at any... At, Anyone who's a journalist who does not think this is preposterous is lying. I have not seen a single credible legal analyst say that her list of demands, I mean, what is this, hostage taking? She's got a list of demands? That her list of demands is acceptable. And not only is her list unacceptable, but everything is so obviously calculated so that they can run out the clock on Kavanaugh's nomination. Every aspect of this. If this were about justice, if this were about speaking her truth and all this other stuff that they want to say, how, how could you allow this to become such a political football? No, this is about politics, first and foremost. And this is a hit, plain and simple. I do not believe her. I do not find her credible. I do not think she is being honest in this process. Why is that so hard for other Republicans to say? Finally, Trump today, and I look, I, I agree with what Trump did. I, I think that he is he has been smart this week in mostly sitting this one out because they would have made it all about Trump. It would have been a referendum on Trump himself. Uh, so that's why I think it was, um, that's why I think it was the right move for him to sit this out until today. But he says, quote, Senator Feinstein of the Democrats held the letter for months only to release it with a bang after the hearings were over, done very purposefully to obstruct and resist and delay let her testify or not and take the vote. Absolutely correct. If she does not show up, and now I'm being told that uh, that she does not plan to show up, until, or rather that she's been offered Wednesday, I think. And what you can tell the Democrats and her lawyers and, and Ms. Ford herself are all doing is trying to war game out. Well, can I... Can I actually delay this enough if I show up Wednesday that they can't get this vote through? This is what this is all about. She's not trying to just have her truth told. She is trying to stop Kavanaugh from getting the Supreme Court. And to, and to show you how vicious and vile the Democrats are, they want to continue this anti-Kavanaugh jihad no matter what happens. Kavanaugh is not going to be out of the woods even if he gets on the court, folks, because they're going to try and start an investigation of him. So I think that that keep 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 that in mind. Um, they're gonna they might even try to push a criminal investigation, which under any normal circumstance would be a, a non-starter. But we aren't in normal circumstances. Democrats are going to lose one of their favorite favorite policy toys. The Supreme Court just gives them whatever they want, whenever they want. That's the way they view it. Maybe it takes them some time. Yes, I know a few cases have gone the way of you know the Constitution. Oh my gosh, who could have thought such a thing? But for the most part, especially on culture war issues, Democrats turn to the Supreme Court to give them what they want. And they view this as necessary, not just to get more of what they want, but to protect things, most notably abortion, that they have internalized as essential, essential to their own identity and their sense of of self and and who they are in this country. Man, it is just... uh, 
it is just out of control. Do we have, by the way, do, do we, uh, well, you know, I, oh yeah, we do. Okay, well, we'll get to that in, in a couple of minutes. We've got uh, Maddow talking about how this could be a criminal investigation at any time. So now they're threatening, they're threatening Kavanaugh with criminal charges based on this, uh, which is absurd. And they're also saying that they're going to try to impeach him. So this is, he, he's become a, for the left, Kavanaugh is now a marked man. They are going to destroy him one way or another. So let's keep that in mind. Weber says, oh, we're so worried about the victim having to deal with mean people. She's trying to destroy Kavanaugh's life. That is the most absurd, anti-due process, anti-American concept. You testify without having been formally accused under oath. Obviously, she has to testify. She has to be cross-examined, preferably by good lawyers who can ask probing questions. Then he has to get up and respond and be cross-examined with probing questions. And I do agree with her that they ought to bring in any possible witness, a judge or anybody else, subpoena them if they won't testify uh, voluntarily, and let the FBI continue its background check. That's what it does. But now we have people, Rachel Maddow, some of my colleagues, saying he ought to be criminally prosecuted and go to jail. And even if he's confirmed, there ought to be a criminal okay. investigation and he ought to be impeached. Kavanaugh should be questioned first. Isn't that exactly backwards? It is. I mean, this notion of, you know, you swing, then we pitch is a rather ridiculous <laughs> way of, of doing this. Uh, you know, she is accusing him of wrongdoing. We want to see what those allegations amount to under oath in mm -hmm. testimony. And then he has to answer for it. I think the Democrats are overplaying their hand here. I mean, they, they have some legitimate objections. They don't want her to have to testify at the same table with Kavanaugh. I get that. I think everyone does. Uh, but there becomes a point when reasonable objections become efforts to manipulate. And this is one of them. There is no good faith reason for that order. No good faith reason for the Democrats is nothing new, folks. The Democrats are not acting in good faith on this stuff. This is all a sham. And yes, I will repeat what I said yesterday. She is lying. I don't know about how much or to what degree, but there are certainly lies that she has told or that are being told on her behalf. And we need no longer take this whole thing as anything other than a partisan ambush, which is what it has been from the start. The, the, the claims that she is making here, I mean, there's no, and again, it's through lawyers. I know people say, oh, she's not making them. Folks, she's a reasonably sophisticated adult okay she has a phd everyone keeps calling her doctor now i know i think professor would be sufficient uh but she knows what's being said on her behalf she's approving what's said on her behalf and that they would they would think that she should be able to demand that somebody else is subpoenaed by the senate that she can demand the schedule upon which the senate uh, sets itself to do all this she can determine the schedule of the united states senate based on her availability. Uh, why don't they just subpoena her, by the way? Does somebody want to tell me, why don't they subpoena her? She's made this complaint. Subpoena her to show up. She doesn't show up. Well, then she's in contempt of the Senate. I mean, what? I know people, oh, Buck, you can't do that. Well, okay, so she gets to say, well, I can't show up that day. I can't show up that day. I'll show up when, when it means that you can't actually confirm a Supreme Court nominee anymore, which is what all this is about. I mean, yesterday I was really angry about this. I mean, today... I'm every bit as angry, but I would just note that it's, this is a farce. I, I don't even really take this. I have a hard time taking this 
seriously, although it is a serious threat to uh, our, dare I say, our institutions of government and the Supreme Court and the way that the Senate works. It is serious in that regard. What she's claiming here, that she should be able to uh, determine that he goes first, that she not. Oh, here's a fun one. They've been complaining all week about how there's only men on the Senate Judiciary Committee. And now one of her one of her demands via her lawyer is that you can't have any outside counsel question her, which means you can't have a female question her. So they complain about how only men are going to question her. And then they ensure that only men will question her. It's all political. This is for show. This is theater. This is not about justice. And everybody should just speak honestly about it at this point. All right. This was the Democrats, you know, dirty trick that they had been holding in reserve this whole time. And they've unleashed it. And that's their whole purpose. By the way, play, play clip 14 here. This is gurgling Gergen speaking nonsense, which he always does. I do think also on the council, the outside council, it's important to distinguish. This is somebody they're bringing in who's going to be on their side. Right. Mm-hmm. Who's trying to impugn uh, and to discredit. Right. This would not be a neutral. This is not a neutral. <laughs> right. They're looking for somebody who can do. Uh, do, do and so the <laughs> Democrats <laughs> may be well advised to do that. But on the other hand, they've got some people who are pretty experienced. And they've got women of their own mm-hmm. who can ask questions. Also really striking is the disproportionate amount of power coming into this. Mm-hmm. I mean, here mm-hmm. Kavanaugh yes, goes into the yes, White House right. every day. And he has hours and hours mm-hmm. of test, you know, prepared testimony. He's got a whole, you know, the Republicans on the Hill. Right. You know, they control a lot of this. And so it, in right. some ways, it's going to be a David and Goli- versus Goliath or Christine right. versus Goliath. And Christine, that'll be very right. tough for her. But she may be more, a more sympathetic character as a result. Mm-hmm. Folks, this is not hard. If she's telling the truth, just tell the truth. Right. No, no one's ever going to press any charges against her. She's a hero no matter what at this point on the left. In all of her social circles, she's considered a heroine already. Everybody that she interacts with and deals with on a day-to-day basis is more or less going to think that what she's doing is a great service to the nation. What does she have to do that's so hard? Why do they make it sound like she's going to get tripped up? And the, This isn't difficult at all. Tell them what happened that you say happened. You know, when they start asking questions like, how do you not remember? I've been told now that it's, she doesn't remember the year this happened. See, you have to ask this question. If her allegation is credible, what would have to happen for an allegation to be not credible? If her allegation is treated as on its face, the truth, what would we be allowed to dismiss out of hand as preposterous? And then all these little all these little games that she's playing. This is not about truth telling. She's a weapon of the left right now trying to subvert the nomination process of Judge Kavanaugh. But it gets even crazier. I mean, it was mentioned there. Rachel Maddow is suggesting. Do we have this clip? She's suggesting, you know, well, we're going to we're going to make this a criminal matter. Play that. There's no statute of limitations for a felony like this in Maryland. The reason they have not yet opened a criminal investigation of this matter is because they have not received a criminal complaint. I don't know if it will always be that way. If Dr. Ford ever wanted to pursue it this way, that she could at any point make that criminal complaint. 
Such a complaint could start a criminal investigation, conceivably of a sitting Supreme Court justice, for felony attempted rape. There is no rule against indicting a Supreme Court justice. Uh, okay, he was also a minor at the time, so I mean, I'm I'm not an expert in the in in the way that Maryland state law would be applied here, it, it, but my understanding would be. How, first of all, the the FBI wouldn't be investigating this. Local law enforcement would. And there is no corroboration, no evidence whatsoever to support this claim. So do you know what happens when people go and they try to start a criminal investigation and they just said this happened to me a long time ago and I can't prove it? They take your statement and maybe they talk to a couple of people if you can name them. And that's it, folks. All we are going to have here are words. There is no possibility of any physical evidence of any kind and keep on physical evidence of what 40 or whatever 35 years later is something that people will consider provable based only on somebody's word right that that we can believe that this happened only because somebody said it anybody can get taken down for political expedience by this anyone is subject to this kind of insane perversion of justice right it's it's just the whole thing is madness. It really is. And it's it's like the entire country has basically lost lost its mind here. All right, so I don't know what the heck is going on here. Producer Mike put this clip in the mix today, and he said this is an interesting conversation. And I said, all right, Producer Mike, let's do it. Let's have it. Mike, this is a this has become a big story in France about a bus driver slapping a 12 year old boy. What the heck's going on here? Yeah. So this uh, this child uh, ran out into the minute uh, to the middle of the street and almost got hit by the bus. And uh, the bus driver stopped and came out. And was trying to protect him, said, hey, be safe, be careful, in French. And the child told him to shut up and to get back in the bus and drive his bus. So the bus driver slapped him in the face. Oh, wow. The video is pretty intense. Uh, you can see the bus driver walks right up to him and the kid's mouthing off. And he just, you know, he slaps him. And people start screaming and freaking out. And that's pretty much where the video ends. Well, it went viral in France. And about 300,000 people have signed a petition supporting the driver. Huh. Yeah. Supporting the driver. Supporting right? the driver. Right. You want to think, would you? You know, I, I will say that in some cultures, I know that they, they do the, the face slap thing, and that's that's considered, you know, they don't do it hard, but they do the face slap as a form of discipline. I know that in, in I've seen people in Italy do this. I, I you know, I don't know about, I don't know about hitting your kids. I think that's a bad, bad idea. Uh, or not your kids, but. Any kids? Yeah, I think I think I think that's that's a really bad press. I mean, this guy. Remember, this is a random bus driver. It's not even a, it's not even a parenting issue, right? I'm, I'm a little surprised. The French, uh, what the heck's going on with this? I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect that's the that's the approach. They're just saying that you know they're sick of like kids acting like brats, and this guy standing up to a 12 year old. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can imagine that happening in this country. The uh, the outrage would have been to. I mean, the bus driver would probably be in jail. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Oh no! I mean, it, it it it's changed so much. Uh, the what what you're allowed to do when it comes to, uh, you know, interacting with kids now. I mean, yeah. I, I think I'm pretty sure now you actually can get investigated by child services for spanking your children. I mean, if somebody said, "Oh, so and so is spanking his kids on a regular basis" or whatever, 
I think that that's considered, you know, hitting and, and that they child sir. Am I wrong? I mean, I, I, my, that's my understanding of it, at least. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the fact that, like, there's part of me uh, that I saw that I read this. I think well, that, look, everybody, everybody hates bratty kids, right? Yeah. So that's, I understand that sense of, but I think you can't hit them. Yeah, especially when you're not the parent. And I think that's the big thing that, you know, people are a little, you know, outraged about that, that, you know, the driver is, chided the boy and is, is not his parent. And they're saying it really wasn't his place. Yeah. You know, this is one of these things, you know, the, the, the cultural differences here. I do not think you would ever get 300,000 signatures of anybody support, of, of anyone getting support for, for giving a slap to a 12 year old. Yeah. For uh, no, no matter how disrespectful he had been, but yeah, they got man, you know it's been a, it's been a tough week, Mike, for all kinds of road road incidents. Uh, there have been I don't know if you saw this, man, but two things that really haunted me. One is uh, this this uh, guy I think it was in New York who was riding in the bike lane, yes, and got crushed by it by a truck, yes, bus, or by a bus, by a bus. He died. Yes, this is like my worst nightmare. You know, I'm so and and then I read that and I thought, well, yeah, you know, he's on a bicycle. It's a little tougher to. I mean, what you know, it's a terrible, terrible. Uh, Did you tragedy. see the video? Yeah, the video it's is harsh. It's, man. It's, I can't unsee the video. Yeah, Those it's of you hard. Haven't seen it. He did not see it, it coming. It is rough. And, and then the uh, there's another one right here in in Logan or uh, Dupont Circle. Uh, well, in Logan Circle, a woman got stabbed to death by she was jogging. That happened, which was just. That's a five-minute walk from my apartment where that happened over the weekend. They keep saying it's a safe neighborhood where that happened. And I say, uh, nothing in D.C. is that safe. Uh, people who, you know, when people are thinking safe, they shouldn't be thinking D.C. D.C. is a lot more dangerous than, than New York City is, or at least than Manhattan is. And, uh, and I would say, oh, anyway, so, so that happened. And obviously, that was a big news story just because of how brutal and random it was. But there was another guy, or rather, there was a guy, going back to the roadway safety thing, who was riding one of those little electric scooters. We had our first fatality in D.C., Mike. Oh, wow. Guy got hit by a car on one of those scooters, and, and he got lodged under an SUV. Oh, my and Lord. he died. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I don't know about the, the going scoot, scoot, scooting all the time now. I'm, I'm a little concerned. <laughs> uh, yeah. you, know, I mean, you know, it's one thing to look like a nerd, but I, look, it's dangerous. That's the thing. Maybe that's why, maybe now I understand why people that ride bicycles in major metropolitan areas tend to be uh, so so militant about the bike lane mm -hmm. because they're constantly worried about what could happen if somebody does not respect. It's a very real concern. Right. You know, if a car veers off a little bit, I mean, these are things, are you, do you ever, you don't ever city bike around or anything, right? Did you? I do not. No. You do not. No, Mike no. doesn't, Mike doesn't play that. John, do you city bike anywhere? I'm not crazy. You're not crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. Dude, they, they, those city bike guys, I mean, the bike messengers, Oh yeah, I don't know how they get people to do that because they're 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 going like forty like literally forty miles an hour yeah. around New York City streets and going through red lights and it's like they're just living on the edge. Man. Yeah, that's they're, a death wish. It's a, total, it's a total death wish. That is. they're evil Knievel with a messenger bag. It's it's <laughs> nuts. I've never seen anything like it. So anyway, man, yeah, that's but anyway, it's it's just a, just a few things that all all came to my attention in the last. You know, the the guy got killed on a scooter. And the guy got crushed when he was riding a bicycle on the streets. You know, it's uh, it's everybody out there. Safety first. All right. Safety first. That's my that's my theory about that. Mike and John, you guys got anything fun going on this weekend? You want to tell the entire entire country about? <laughs> I'm watching college football, eating a bone in ribeye steak 
and probably having a, a couple beers and calling it a day. That's what I'm gonna Dude, do. You're a cha- you're a champion American. I am, man. I love I do love my weekends during football season. It's all about beer, steak, and uh, football. That's mm. pretty much it. Yeah. What about you, John? You gonna make some Homer made of meatballs? No, I'm just gonna try and sleep and catch up on sleep from uh, <laughs> the last couple of weeks have been kind of rough, so uh, I need my rest. John, what is what is the dish that you would make if you had to impress company, though? Um, if I had to impress company, I I really don't try to impress people. I just try to eat what I like, and uh, if that's the case, I would make uh, lasagna. That's my favorite. There we. I, I was close. John, John is it? A, John, uh, John comes from. Are, are both? Are you Italian on both sides? Both of my parents are from Italy. I was born here. See, both from Italy, and he would yeah. make lasagna. Fantastic. Uh, I would make a frozen mac and cheese, which is probably what I have for dinner tonight. <laughs> wow, that sounded depressing. All right, we're gonna come back and tell you a story, guys. This is a this is a story that, woo, you will be. Uh, you got to kind of hear it to believe. It. There's a person who has one of these uh, psychological. Disorders, I suppose, extreme body modification. Uh, it's a transgender female who believes that uh, she has transformed into a dragon. And a writer from the left-wing progressive magazine Vice goes into some detail about this transformation and celebrates it. That's coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Is it possible for a human being to become a dragon? It's a stupid question, right? We all know the answer is no. Well, I shouldn't say we all know. I had to read this piece a couple of times through in a it's in a publication that is tied to a billion dollar media entity known as Vice. If you're not familiar with Vice, Vice is where all the most hipster of hip in media come together. And they do like interviews with world leaders, but they're just like really like low key about it. And they're like, they're just like smoking cigarettes and there's like no pretense that they're, you know, like journalists, like they're more like storytelling through the emotional impact of the visualizations on the screen, man. Yes, it is indeed a lot of a lot of hipster stuff advice. This is a piece that you'd have to read to believe, uh, written by Diana Tourge at Vice, and it's the trans woman who became a dragon. And the subheadline is, I spent a day with Ava Tiamat Medusa, a trans woman who modified her body to become a dragon. Goes into some detail here. I first learned about Tiamat Eva Medusa two years after seeing a sensational feature on her in an online tabloid. Her appeal is self-evident. Tiamat has undergone extreme body modification to become a dragon. Her ears and nostrils have been removed. Her eyes are stained green and she is covered in implanted horns and tattooed scales. Tiamat no longer looks human. I thought she was beautiful, and when I learned that she's also a transgender woman, 
I began to think about her modifications in relation to identity and hope that one day we would meet. And of course, this article is about this uh, author meeting with this trans woman dragon, I suppose. Now, now I say this, I'm, I'm being honest in my inquiry here. Am, am I really expected to refer to this person as a, as a dragon? Is that a, um, is that what the expectations now of manners would be? Now, I know you're probably chuckling. You're saying, Buck, that's crazy. And I say to you, yes, but then again, we're already referring to this, this somebody who is biologically male to a male as a woman. Uh, Ms. Ms. Medusa is a man, biologically speaking, that has undergone some transgender modifications to her body or his body or whatever, and, and now is, has undergone even further modifications to become a dragon. And now you can make the philosophical argument, folks, that, and this, this well, you know what? I don't, you don't have to hear it from me. Hear, hear it from this writer, um, which I thought was, was pretty astonishing. Uh, this, the writer is, is, is trans as well, and the writer uh, has the following paragraph. Tiamat doesn't seem like a human. She seems like a dragon, a mythical entity that has, through a series of ritualistic procedures, managed to escape the confines of the human body. As a trans woman, that is something I implicitly understand. In fact, I am quoting here, I don't think there's much difference between us. When I grew breasts, when I had surgery to carry my body across physical sex, I felt a sense of freedom from manhood, much in the way that Tiamat says she feels free from being human. Now, this is, on its face, pretty out there stuff. Uh, this is Now, this is the kind of stuff that, under normal circumstances, I think a person would immediately put into the category of a mental illness that we need to discuss, uh, an issue that needs to be handled by psychiatrists and, and mental health professionals. And we can certainly return to that notion. But I first wanted to just dive in a little more. Remember, this is at Vice, which is considered a very cutting edge. They've got their own show on HBO. They were, at least a few years ago, valued at a billion dollars. I said at the time that was completely outrageous. I mean, there's no way this media company is worth a billion dollars. They just convinced a lot of people who are progressives with big checkbooks that they were going to be the the way media was done in the future. It turns out that just having a bunch of, of skinny hipsters from Brooklyn, you know, dangling cigarettes out of their mouths while they're hanging out, you know, in, on the North Korean DMZ, it, it, it loses its its fascination for normal people pretty quickly. Anyway, but Vice wrote this, again, this, this is a transgender writer writing his profile. And by the way, what, what am I supposed to do with the pronouns here? It, it, it becomes almost too confusing and too uh, difficult to even keep it all straight. I don't know, and, and I really mean this, I don't know what the pro, uh, pronoun is for a dragon. You certainly wouldn't want to refer to a dragon as it, because that would be, in, in essence, a form of, of dehumanization, right? You don't want to take away someone's humanity and say they're no longer. But what if the what if the person who claims to be a dragon wants to be called it? 
All right. What if the former man, then a woman by his own claim, then a dragon after being a woman has a whole new pronoun? You know, what, when do we have to stop giving into the delusion? When, when do we actually get to say this is too much? I, I, I really I say this because, folks, if, if I told you that five years ago, even if five years ago, I said to you that it would become a matter of law in Canada and increasingly a matter of of law in the United States, certainly a social pressure that you would have to refer to females by male pronouns and vice versa. And even beyond that, refer to individuals by newly constructed pronouns that have nothing to do with gender, really, that go beyond gender, and that's the whole purpose of them. And if you didn't do that, you'd considered you'd be considered a bad person. You would have told me that I was nuts. But yet here we are. Now I'm looking at a profile of someone who thinks that he's a dragon or thinks that he's a woman that turned into a dragon. And the writer, and by the way, I, I'm, I'm not talking about this story to be nasty. Uh, I, I think that this person, I mean, you read the story, the person's had a very hard life. person has uh, HIV, uh, M- Ms. Medusa uh, has HIV and has been through a lot of abuse. And, you know, I, I don't say this in any way to um, pile on to somebody's very difficult circumstances. But I just mean that these things now are, that this article is not, oh my gosh, look what this person has been through. Uh, he really needs help. That would be an article that I would completely uh, understand and, and support it. No, this article is a celebration. And in fact, an act of solidarity with a person who thinks that he has been transformed via really pr- pretty I mean, extreme body modification into a mythical creature, into a dragon. Now, does the person really think that he is actually a dragon? Doubtful. But there's a desire in this piece to talk about this human being as though he or she is is no longer like the rest of us because of tattoos and other things done to uh, to the body here, you know, the the green eyes and, and other stuff. And I just note that this, folks, is, is what happens when you start to divorce yourself from reality. You end up in these places where you have to defend things that are irrational and, and, are, and are somewhat insane. And, and then there's this part, I mentioned the solidarity. Um, and there's this piece where, in fact, the writer writes, I don't think there's that much difference between us. When I grew breasts, had surgery to carry myself across physical sex, I felt a sense of freedom from manhood, much in the way that Tiamat says she felt free from being a human being. So are, are we now to think that being transgender and turning into a, a mythical mythical creature? I mean, this is a transgender writer, folks. So I'm trying to understand what the mindset is here. Uh, a mythical creature is something that is similar in some way. I mean, they both seem to be a repudiation of the physical world and a physical reality. So is there some real crossover that we should be aware of in this? And now I get to my, my broader point, which is... We've seen this with transgenderism, and we've, generally speaking, become more and more aware of this, I think, with the direction of the, of the progressive left in America, that there is a, a radicalism in their thought that really seeks to tear down 
what I would call the load-bearing walls of civilization. They get a particular pleasure in embracing thoughts and in embracing constructs of society around us that undermine everything that we know to be true and everything we know to be good and decent and fair and honest. And I, I, that, that can sound like a, uh, one, of course, such a sweeping statement, and also it's obviously a tremendous condemnation, but I think they've earned it. Uh, the war that they currently have on, on gender, when you couple that with the war that they are waging on, on men, in a sense, you know, white male is now a term of disparagement among media, among the left, all right? To be a white male means that you should be stripped of certain rights and certain considerations in society. To be a white male means you have something to apologize for, to make up for. So on the one hand, they're telling us all that gender really means nothing and that gender is some kind of a construct and we shouldn't get all caught up in what somebody's physical sex is. On the other hand, they want to tell us that gender is an essential imbalance in society and that women are oppressed and women have always been oppressed. And the only way to overcome this is to flip the power structures in our society such that men are held to account for their decades of oppression. I mean, this is whacked out crazy stuff, but it's becoming very mainstream on the left, just as transgenderism has not just become mainstream, I mean, it is considered now a civil rights struggle. And I, I just wonder when we can start to finally draw the line and say that I, as a person who, who strives to be ethical and considerate and honorable, when am I allowed to say that I, I don't, well, I will try to assist and I want help for anyone with any kind of uh, mental illness or mental health impairment, I will not celebrate somebody's mental health impairment or mental health illness because it is politically uh, popular on the left, because it's an area of kind of avant-garde progressivism. Did, are, are we approaching that, that place yet in, in the country? Because I think I'm already there. And I would wonder how many people that I know who are Democrats, how many of my leftist uh, friends and colleagues out around D.C., if they were presented with the story of the man who became a woman who became a dragon, instead of saying this is somebody who really needs help, they would say this is somebody who's really special and needs to be celebrated. I think the answer is a lot of them. And that is very troubling. Global Verification Network, the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company there is, folks. They are federally certified as a veteran owned small business and independently certified by the National Veteran Business Development Council. I also know the CEO. He's a great guy who runs a great company. You should check them out. If you have any need for vetting or background investigation, Go with Global Verification Network. They're headquartered in Chicago, but they've got offices throughout the country. One of their big selling points, folks, is that none of their work and none of their data is ever offshore. A lot of these background investigation companies will send your stuff out to be done overseas. You really don't want that, especially if you're dealing with sensitive information, personnel and background stuff. It's just not good to get it out there. Keep it safe. Keep it here. Keep it local and veteran owned and operated. Global Verification Network. Go to mygvn.com. Again, that's 
MYGVN.com or call 877-695-1179. So a bit of uh, business to talk to you about, team. First week of October, I am going to be uh, on radio for a few of the days, off a couple of days as well. But I will be out in Las Vegas for the uh, Stansberry Conference. I'll be speaking there, be doing some fun stuff there. Uh, and just generally being around all the events that are going on at the, it'll be at the Bellagio, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and then I'm going to be speaking at an event in Orange County, California. So for those of you who are Orange County folks, if you would like to, ha- or, or California or within driving distance of California, uh, on October 4th, I'm going to be giving a, the keynote speech at Freedom Frontline. An Evening with Buck Sexton. It's called Let's Ride the Wave to America and California's Comeback. Thursday, October 4th, 2018 at the Fairbanks Ranch Country Club. That's the Fairbanks Ranch Country Club in Rancho Santa Fe, California. So it's uh, north of San Diego. Rancho Santa Fe should be a lot of fun. Uh, The uh, dinner starts at 7 p.m. The VIP cocktail reception starts at 5.30 p.m. You can get tickets at freedomfrontline.com. Again, freedomfrontline.com. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I will say I'm looking forward to doing more live events going forward. It's one thing that I don't do a lot of. I've always been a little surprised that college campuses somehow have not decided that if they wanted to have somebody who is a young conservative who will, I'll argue with people about anything. Uh, I, I will stand for conservatism on any campus and there's just not for whatever reason, I don't have any contacts in colleges that want me to do that. So I haven't done those kinds of campus speeches. I've done events like this in the past, uh, but there's something that's really fun about doing a live event and, and it's great to, to do it and just have the audience interaction. And then afterwards to get to hang out with folks, which is what will be going on at this event. I believe there's a luau theme so a lot of people be dressed in Hawaii or Hawaiian attire. Uh, I'm not sure yet if I am going to be in Hawaiian attire. I'm trying to figure that out. But I'm going to give a speech about 45 minutes. We're going to have dinner. I think there's like an open bar. It should be uh, should be a lot of fun. And I'm just going to be there all night hanging out. So that Thursday, I won't be on radio. My, my buddy, uh, Michael Pelka, will be in for me. But again, it is uh, Thursday, October 4th coming up. Uh, wow, it's coming up soon. Thursday, October 4th at the Fairbanks Ranch Country Club in Rancho Santa Fe, California. Uh, An evening with Buck Sexton. And the way to get tickets is freedomfrontline.com. Again, you can go on freedomfrontline.com. So please, team, I would really love to see some of you out there. I mean, we're expecting, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of five or 600 people. So it would be really fun to have some some of the, the radio squad there to have my back. It always feels better. Even when I've only got a few team buck people in attendance, I'm like, okay, the team is here with me. I'm good. You know, this is going to work out well. Because uh, whenever I've popped up somewhere in the flesh around the country, you know, live and, and in person, uh, I have really appreciated it when someone's killed me like, shots high. I'm like, yes. It's like the secret society is here for me. Um, that's pretty much what I got on that. I just want to tell you about it. I don't think that many of you will be able to go to the Stansbury conference because I think it's sold out, but you can register online for that if you wanted to watch it. It's a lot of finance stuff. Those guys are awesome. If you want to learn about finance, you can check out that. Uh, but the, the October 
fourth event in uh, Rancho Santa Fe, uh, California is going to be well, we're just going to rock it with the midterms. We're going to have a lot of fun. Buck might even, you know, might even have three might even have three glasses of tequila. Who knows? You know, it could get could get wild. I'm just hoping that they have uh, I'm hoping they have enough gluten free appetizers. It's my one thing about any kind of cocktail party. All the appetizers always have gluten in them now. I know this is a whiny first world problem thing to, to say, but it's true. You know, I go to places and they have all these little mini crab cakes. Oh, it's just covered in gluten. They have little mini quiche. Oh, it's a little gluten bomb. You know, what about those of us that, that can't eat the flour? You know, we can't eat flour or at least not wheat flour. Uh, these are the things you got to deal with. And then I, I don't know if I'm going to be around California the rest of that weekend or if I'm going to come back to the swamp. I usually take any opportunity I can to be out in Cali and enjoy myself, but we shall see. So anyway, team, freedomfrontline.com. I hope you will come check out the event. An evening with Buck Sexton. So it's just me talking about the midterms and hanging out and drinking, eating some good food. The country club's apparently beautiful. So it'll be a lot of fun. Hope you can make it. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Roll call time, everybody. It's indeed the uh, best way to finish up the show on a Friday. And I will get right to it. I'm sure that we, I know I promised there'd be an email version of roll call. I, I don't know. I just keep forgetting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you guys because that the Freedom Hunt's all about honesty. I just keep forgetting the password and I sign out of my Gmail or my email and then I can't sign back in. And technology has essentially bested me on this one. I'm, I'm sorry. That's why Facebook is easy. I just stay logged into our Team Buck Facebook, and uh, that's how we do it. Thomas, first up in our roll call. Buck, this argument over the non-appearance of Christine Blasey Ford to present her testimony is bogus. Progressives never intended her to appear. Their objective is to create a cloud of suspicion over Judge Kavanaugh, just like they try to do with Stormy Daniels over President Trump. When Kavanaugh is confirmed and sworn in as a Supreme Court justice, the progressives will constantly have that artillery waiting to slam every vote made by the next Supreme Court that doesn't meet their demands as being tainted by an illegitimate justice and uh, invalidated. That's their long-term goal. Shields high. Thomas. No, Thomas, I... I think that you're correct, but I think there's more to it, or I'd say you're correct in part in my estimation. I think their short-term goal is to de- delay the nomination until after the election. I think that they have come remarkably close to that, and they may get there still. If you're asking me for a prediction, I think Kavanaugh still gets confirmed, but I think it is just under the wire, and I think it is the by the narrowest, it is a one-vote margin we are going to see here. One vote. That's going to be the difference maker. So that's my expectation for this. And yes, they're going to say that Kavanaugh is illegit. But keep in mind, Clarence Thomas has been on the court for a long time. And you know, they, we don't really care what they say about the Supreme Court once they're on the court. Uh, although there was that article written by somebody in the New York Times uh, editorial section saying that they should impeach Kavanaugh, not just from the Supreme Court, but from his current job as well. That gives you a sense of how how insane the libs are with all this stuff. 
All right. Next, we have Brent, who writes, Hey, Buck, Shields High, longtime listener. Congrats on the POTUS interview. Do you think there's some truth to the Trump October surprise gossip? I don't like playing politics with situations that call for transparency, but at this point, he seems to need to fight fire with fire. By the way, I saw that James Wood tweet when it was posted. Way cool. You sure have come a long way since the blaze. Very excited for you and try to get some rest. Brent. Well, Brent, thank you, man. First of all, I see in Brent's photo, he's got a really lovely family. It's one of the nice things about Team Buck is that it's all such nice people. You know, such a lot of lot of lovely families. Great, great single folks out there listening to, but all, all the best people listen to this show. Uh, and, and in terms of an October surprise and what you actually wrote in about Brent, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise if I knew about it. Uh, I think that anything that they have, and I've heard in the D.C. swamp, some really crazy rumors. I mean, I've heard stuff that is just, it just sounds completely bonkers. Um, things about, you know, Trump apprentice tapes and other things. My sense is that they would rather hold that, if that existed, which I very much doubt, they would rather hold that until Trump is up for re-election. Because keep in mind, even if they take the House here, the presidency is still very powerful and if they take the House and the Senate, we're just going to be in for two years of investigations, impeachment, and gridlock. Uh, and then it all turns into, the levers of power and government all turns into a referendum on Trump in 2020. Uh, but thank you for your note. And yeah, that, that exchange I had with James Woods uh, was really fun, where he mentioned that he knew my grandmother. What a small world. Uh, James Woods knew my grandmother. They did a play together decades ago. I mean, it must have been 30 years ago maybe more than that, 40 years ago. I don't know. It was a long time ago. Uh, next up here, Anne writes, Hey, Buck, listening to last night's show on Stitcher, good Lord, Kristen Gillibrand's voice drives me up the wall and the content of her message, oh boy, uh, how hysterical sounding. Uh, by the way, background check, what is she talking about? Brett Kavanaugh had one. Yeah, I, I know, And Gillibrand, look, she's just, She's just kind of a mediocrity. I mean, I don't know what else to say. There's nothing about her as a person that's impressive. It's it's pretty amazing that she's become a senator. But some people just hang out and stay in the right place, the right time. And, you know, they end up advancing their careers in ways that would shock anybody that's basing an assessment of them on their ability and on the, on their merit. Um, I, I think I mean, Gillibrand has, has no shot in my mind of higher office, but the fact that she's a sitting U.S. senator is remarkable enough on its own. Uh, Patrick writes, I love your show. I think you are the most level-headed and factual conservative talk radio host, not to mention the intelligence you share, but for the life of me, I cannot understand how you are so kind to the McCains. John and his daughter are the origin of rhinos. I'm so glad you took her show. Well, Patrick, first off, thank you very much for your really kind and encouraging words about my show, uh, and I, I'm honored to have you as a listener. As to how I speak about the McCains, uh, I'll, be, I'll be very upfront with you about this. Uh, one is that Megan was the previous host on, the, on these radio stations you're currently listening to me, and when we made the transition, she was uh, very gracious and very supportive, and also Megan's husband, Ben Dominich, is a friend of mine and a former colleague of mine at the Blaze, and I do not, I do not undermine, I do not backstab, and I do not trash talk friends or spouses of friends. 
that's and and that is just a rule that I have. There are plenty of people that I could tell you about in media who I don't like the work that they necessarily do, or I don't agree with them on things. But if if they are a friend of mine, or if we know each other and like each other as people, I I will not go there. Uh, and I I just I feel like you should all know that because sometimes you may be surprised. Why don't you go after? such and such a person, you know, more. And I'll always tell you, oh, well, I know them, uh, but that is my, my feeling on the matter. I put my my personal um, responsibilities and, and loyalties to people above uh, even the most astute and ruthless analysis. Um, and so that's, that's what I would say about that. And John McCain, when he was still alive, uh, I was very critical of him um, at, ver- at various times on, on policy matters. I found him deeply unhelpful to the cause of conservatism at critical junctures and was willing to say so. And I also was bothered by this notion that you always had to pay fealty to McCain because of his service. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people in the United States Congress and in, and in the government who serve their country in many cases quite honorably and, and with, you know, with distinction as well. And I just don't think we should be parsing out, well, this person was the most honorable in their service or, or did the most extraordinary thing. So that means they're right on all political matters. That That's not a, a standard that I was ever comfortable with. And so I, I hope that's a fair, a fair answer to your question. Uh, Brandon writes, Shields high, Buck. Do you think when Kavanaugh gets on the Supreme Court, all of these attacks will actually make him more conservative on rulings? You know, Brandon, that's a really interesting question. I I don't think so. Although it it really has given him a taste of how insane and underhanded and despicable the left has become in this country. Uh, And this is no longer, I mean, politics in this country is is not really one long-running series of debates over major policy issues. It has become identity and emotional uh, identity-based and emotional, and that's something else. I mean, it really feels like warring factions or warring tribes. In fact, the Founding Fathers warned us about the ills of factionalism, and I think we are certainly there. Although, if you want, you can go back and read in the earliest days of the uh, of the Republic. Politicians said really nasty stuff about each other, and there was, you know, there's, folks, human nature. You know, people, there we have aggression, we fight, we squabble. We have envy and vanity and all kinds of things that make us not exactly live up to our, our greatest potential as, as honorable uh, and positive influences on the world. Mary writes in, so glad, uh, oh, sorry, that was an old message from June. Mary writes, very concerned about guilt on accusation. Well, Mary, I obviously am very concerned about that too. Uh, it's something that I think we can now say with Kavanaugh, he has been treated as guilty until proven innocent. That's that's not an overstatement. That is where the situation stands. And so, yes, it, it's a concern. And it just goes to show you that the Democrats are willing to undermine not just institutions, but core principles that our entire society is built upon for short-term political gain. Uh, there is nothing that is too sordid for the Democrat left. More Roll Call coming up. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. 
It's time for Roll Call. All right, we're back into it with Timothy, who writes at Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Buck Shields High, that celebrity soundbite supporting Ford, it sounded like they were all members of the Borg Collective. Resistance is futile. You would be, You will be assimilated. You know, I'll be honest with you, I haven't really watched that much Star Trek in my life. I'm familiar with it. I've seen some of it, but I'm not I'm not a Trekkie for sure. And that's that's probably putting it mildly. Daniel writes, Hey Buck, love the show. It is the best podcast out there. Well, that's very kind of you to say, Daniel. I appreciate that. Uh, he goes on to write, The circus of Democratic opposition to Kavanaugh's confirmation uh, has been attributed to many factors, but so far... You are the only one on the national stage who proffered the key to their frenetics. It is most of all about Kavanaugh being a threat to their holy grail, Roe v. Wade. That nails it exactly. Shields high. P.S. I'm not on the national stage, but I just published about this on my site if you care to look. Well, Daniel, I do care to look, and thank you very much for your kind words. Thank you for writing into the show. Kimberly. Uh, is here to tell me about uh, how. Just heard you talk about Undercover Huber. I just love him. Try out Stealth Jeff, too. He is the one that helps me hold on to my strong faith in Jeff Sessions. I think Jeff and POTUS are playing the the dims. If you notice, they all didn't want him conferred, but now they don't want him fired. LOL. There are 40,000-plus sealed indictments. No leaks from the Huber team. I think the hammer drops when we get the unredacted FISA 302s. I think it's Trump and Sessions playing the art of the deal. Just my thoughts and hopes from Kimberly. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and hopes. And I appreciate you listening to the show. Uh, Karen writes, part of getting an advanced degree in psychology is working through your own stuff. I can't believe Dr. Ford never addressed this alleged trauma in graduate school if it really happened. Well, Karen, I... I don't know about that, but I, I can say that I started a bit of a kerfuffle on Twitter by saying that, in my opinion, doctor should be for people who went to medical school. Professor is what you call somebody with a Ph.D. in a non-science field. That's just that's just like my opinion, man, but uh, or madam in this case, pardon me. Uh, but that's just my opinion. And uh, there you have it. Um, Samson writes, why are you such a lying hypocrite? Is it simply for a paycheck? Uh, Samson, there's actually much easier ways to make money. And if I was going to do this and just wanted to make money, I would be a mainstream Democrat, uh, who would use his national security background for additional credibility to constantly trash and undermine all Republicans and have a lot more options career wise. So I, I think your, your theory is flawed as to lying. Uh, you'd have to tell me what I'm lying about. Uh, that said, you seem slightly deranged, but you do have a cute dog as your avatar photo. So I give you credit for that. Uh, Tommy writes, oh, here we go. How are you, brother? I'm just listening to today's podcast. The uptalking comes from the Kardashians and people who try to emulate them. I noticed it starting when the show began to get really popular about nine years ago. I found it so annoying on the show. Then the girls noticed. They started emulating the speech pattern. Quick, silly, random question. I'm a G.I. Joe collector. Just wondering if it was your thing at any time. And if so, who is your favorite or uh, one or two Joes? Love the show. God bless, Brother Tom. Well, Tom, great to hear from you, man. Thank you so much for the message. And yeah, I was really into G.I. Joe as a kid. And I, I liked 
Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes. Those were the two that I thought were just the most awesome of all of the G.I. Joes. I was big into Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes. And uh, I also was really big into the X-Men when I was a kid. I'd say those were... Oh, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And as I've said before, I liked Raphael, even though Raphael had the kind of lamest weapon, I think, of all of them. No one looks that cool with two weird... I mean, like the the Psy looks kind of like something that you would cook shish kebab on. You know what I mean? It's just not that cool of a weapon. Obviously, the katana sword is the best. Uh, Nunchakus, or numchucks, as people call them, highly ineffective weapon for the most part, but they look cool in that Bruce Lee movie, so you got to give them credit for that, and they work well in a cartoon. Um, What do we have here? Rick writes, today's media phrase is white man. They're trying to raise that as a flag of dishonor uh, and rush to the lynching of Kavanaugh. Yeah, Rick, I know they say some pretty crazy stuff, but at least you can come here and hang out in the Freedom Hut. We can talk about things like normal Americans who just want to see things get better and love their country and and aren't obsessed in a weird and irrational way with politics. We're hearing from my buddy Wayne now from upstate New York. He says, Shields high, my good sir. A thought prompted by your conversation with Sarab Amari on why Brett Kavanaugh or anyone should suffer or apologize for white male privilege The word for that is superstition. Similarly, the requirement for society to do penance for using natural resources for human progress by paying the carbon tax is also superstition. Wayne, I feel you on all that, my friend. Thank you very much for sending in your thoughts. That's going to be it for the hut for this week, my friends. Thank you so much for being here with me. Uh, I'll be with you every day next week, so that's going to be exciting. Live from the swamp in D.C., please Tell one person, quick favor, one person about this show over the weekend. Send them the podcast. Download the podcast for them. Until next time, Shields High.